ladies, welcome back to another episode of Journey of a Fearless Female. I'm your host, Paola Rosser, and this week, my guest is Nina Staple. She's a strong Christian mother. She's also a grandmother. She's also a business owner. She grew up in a large family with a lot of love and responsibility. She's here to tell you her fearless female journey on surviving domestic abuse. Everybody, please welcome Nina. It's so good to talk to you, Paola. I've never told my story before, so this is going to be rather interesting. So, but I grew up in Montana in the outback next to the mountains. Nice. I've always wanted, I've been to Montana one time, but when I was little, I think I was nine or 10, but I always want to go back. It's just so beautiful there. It is. And you know, what's interesting is when you grow up there, you don't appreciate the beauty of it. (laughs) I'm sure. Yeah. I was the oldest child of eight kids and I don't know, you know, I still to this day don't know why. But my dad was always home and my mom was always gone. And we thought that my mom was always gone doing business. And I think that she just didn't like it out in the country or whatever. But there was always a lot of love between my parents. I mean, they would kiss and hug each other in front of each other all the time, in front of us all the time. But they were not big on showing us affection. My one sister, her nickname was Me Too, because whenever she saw mom and dad hugging and kissing, She got in the middle of it and we'd all stand there and watch them hug and kiss her. And (laughs) they, They never said, I love you, but I think that was part of the generation. I believed in my heart and I still believe in my heart that my mom and dad loved all of us kids, but we learned how to work hard at a young age. I was the oldest daughter of eight kids. And I was called grandma all the time. That was my nickname. Really? (laughs) Even at a young age? At a young age, because I was the one who was responsible for everything. I was one that always had to make sure everything got done. Yeah, because your mom was always gone. So somebody had to make dinner and clean the house. And Yep, yep. And you know, when I think back on it now, and I look at my grandkids, when I was in fourth grade, I remember so clearly, we got to stay over by one of our cousin's house. And I remember so clearly saying... But what is my dad going to do? He's going to have to cook himself. And a bunch of the kids made fun of me because I apparently that was wrong to say it that way. But I was concerned that my dad had to cook dinner for himself because I wasn't going to be there. Yeah, you think about fourth graders today and it's like, what did they know how to do? Exactly. Fourth graders today, I don't know how to survive. But back then, it's almost like you were robbed of your childhood too. Yes and no, because I have to say this. I grew up with a very strong work ethic. And I don't think I'd be the person that I am today because I learned how to fight through stuff and get it done. So I think everything that happens, you know, we can live in the pity party and the victim or, and I know that now because I did live in victim mentality for a while, or we can push through it and get the job done. And I think that when we push through and get the job done, we always become a better person because of it. We become stronger. Yeah. But I was very determined. And I, I remember so clearly in fourth grade again, and I don't know why that year so much that you don't remember, but fourth grade, I also remember during lunch hour, I'd quick eat lunch and then I'd leave the school and I'd go door to door to all the houses around school and I would sell cards. As many as I could get during that time that I was at school <laughs> or that lunch hour allowed. Cards that you would draw and write yourself? No, you know, mail would come in and I would see mail that... You know, you could make money selling cards and because we were very poor. I knew that mom and dad didn't have money and I knew that they worked so hard and we always were doing what we could to try and help. In fact, when my sister turned 15 and I was 16, that's when we first got a job. I had driver's license and we were waitresses 
And all the money that we made, we went and we bought a kitchen table and chair set and we put new little or new carpet in the living room and we bought a boat for our family. I mean, everything that we made went back to the family because we wanted it to, not because they asked us. How different times are. No, you know, it's funny that you say that because I think about my sister, you're the oldest of eight. My sister was the oldest of seven and she did the exact same thing when she got her first job, you know. They bought a kitchen table and couches. Like, I think my mom had the same burgundy couches for years because my sisters bought them for them. You know, she cherished them. She even put plastic all over them so so that they would last longer. I know. It's so funny when my mom passed away, actually, that table got brought back to Wisconsin. Really? So she's had it that whole time. Never got rid of it. From when we were 15. Yep. And she died two years ago. Wow. But it was a good, sturdy, big table and my brother got I brought it back here for my brother I didn't need it but so yeah and then life goes on so you know you go into high school and I was waitressing I continued waitressing because I love people and the day I graduated from high school I got hired on a job at the courthouse and I was the youngest person ever to be hired in the courthouse because everybody was in their 60s and 65 retiring and except the gal who hired me she had I think she was 40 years old and she broke the she broke the model and she hired me. And there was so much grief at the courthouse because how can this young punk come in with no education and nothing and do what we do? <laughs> I was hired to um, eventually run the recorder side of the like the records of the clerk and courts clerk and recorder. I'm sorry. So I did that, and and the gal who place I was taking, she got angry after I was there for a month or so because I ran circles and it's like okay now what okay now what okay now what you know and then you took on all the printing so I grew up with a lot of appreciation for my years that I was waitressing I love people and people love me back and I the same thing in the courthouse I mean you knew it was a small county so got to know pretty much everybody comes in the courthouse yeah (laughs) and then I left there but I had met my husband during that time and Part of that is because I grew up in this legalistic church. And when I say legalistic, I really didn't know how you became a Christian. It was all these rules. And one of the rules, of course, is that you can't date anybody that's outside of the church. And, you know, I love- isn't that weird? So weird to me. I, yeah, because it, it wasn't about Christianity, you know, and if I hadn't grown up in that church, I wouldn't understand it. And People would say to me afterwards, oh, was that a cult? And I would be very offended that they would ask me that question. It's like, no, it's not a cult. It was, I think what happened is that they started, you know, with the right, with the truth. And then they got more men in there that created more rules and more rules and more rules. And and women were nobody. And I really blame, to be honest with you, a lot of the issues that are there today with a lot of people is because men were put up on this pedestal so high above women that the women were treated terribly and they were not teaching Bible the way it was meant to be taught at all. Because you have an equal relationship when it comes down, if you can't make a decision after you've discussed it, you know, the man says, this is the way it should go. Yeah. Cause they teach you that he's the head of the household and, and he's the one that makes the decisions. Yeah. Yes. But they forget the next part of it. <laughs> they forget the part that man is to love his wife as Christ loved his church and gave himself up for it. 
So, they leave that part out. Yeah. <laughs> and they also leave out the part before that that says, submit one to another. And then it goes into what man is supposed to do and what woman is supposed to do. But anyway, so that's a church I was in when. And so I started dating my husband when I was 19. I'd had a couple of other relationships with people that were closer, but this was a long distance relationship. So you met him at church? No, actually, I have an aunt who married somebody from Wisconsin and she was our age. I had a, my mom had a family of 11 kids. So there were a lot of grandkids and we always were together because that's all that was in that church basically was my family at the time, my mother's family. So when my aunt got married, and she moved out here, she missed all of her nephews and nieces. We were like her age. And so my brother and I came out here to visit her. And of course, she was going to do her matchmaking. And she hooked me up with somebody that my cousin married. And she hooked my brother up with somebody that his brothers, who the, the girl that my brother was hooked up with, his brother became my husband. So we met actually at a house. They invited us over and we're playing Monopoly. And and. I don't know if I thought I needed a man in my life. I don't know what it was. I think so, probably. Because when you're, especially back then, it was like women were told you need to find a husband, get married, have children. And, you know, even now, like my sister actually is in a legalistic type of um, religion. And, you know, I noticed that like my nieces like really felt inferior if they didn't have a boyfriend by the time they were like 16 or 17 and it was almost like oh my god you know and I was single until I was 37 I mean I had boyfriends but I wasn't married until I was 37 and a lot of even my mom was like oh you've lost all hope oh isn't that something can't have any baby yeah you can't have babies so you know you've lost all hope it's like so my only job on earth is to have a baby and to be married and if everything else is discounted Yes. You know, Tony Robbins said that when I went to, through one of his classes, he was saying that if women are not married by the time that they're 36, there's something inside of them that they know their ticker, their time for having babies is running away. And that's just a natural instinct. And they become desperate to find a man. So, but I, you know, I had dated somebody for a long time and I broke the hearts of a couple of different guys because I just, there's nothing there's, I didn't have real love feelings for him. Yeah. Well, because you didn't experience that growing up. No, no. Between my mom and dad, they had it, but I was looking for love Mm -hmm. in all the wrong places. (laughs) (laughs) I can totally understand that. (laughs) But you know, I was, I was very, I never, you know, ran around. I wasn't sleeping with all kinds of people. I wasn't out partying. That just wasn't who I was. Back to When I started going to a movie, I thought I went to a movie a couple of times and I felt so guilty because we weren't supposed to go to movies. Oh, really? (laughs) Oh, yeah. We couldn't go to movies. We couldn't cut our hair. We couldn't wear makeup. We couldn't wear pants. I mean, I mean, it was just, yeah, yeah. And I had no idea how to be a Christian. It's crazy because that's exactly how my sister is. She wasn't allowed to cut her hair. She's not allowed to put makeup on. She's not allowed to pluck her eyebrows or like she's not allowed to do any of that. And her skirts have to be super long and covering. Um, it's weird. That's so crazy. You know, I actually got my ears pierced. We were married for a couple of years and I got my ears pierced because my sisters had it done. And it was, we went to Great Falls one day and we were having fun. And she knew that I talked about getting them pierced several times. And she said, Hey, why don't we just go in there and do it? And so I'm like, sure. Cause I'm, I love, I'm a, like, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's have fun. So I went and pierced my ears. We fought about that for six solid weeks. 
No way. And I finally was like, this is ridiculous. It's not worth that much to keep fighting. So I pulled them out after they were like at the cured part. And his thing always was, if God wanted you to have holes in your head, you've been born with them. Oh my goodness. So anyways, <laughs> yeah. So we, I came out here and we met at this, at their house and I fell head over heels in love with him that first night. Like it was just the first time I saw him while we were playing Monopoly. And then we dated, I think, I think we went out twice while I was here. And then I went back home and we were, and we were writing letters. And then he came out in the summer, he came out to Montana and I was so excited for him to come out because I thought that we were dating and apparently we weren't. (laughs) It was just an opportunity for him to see the country. That's what he said to me. You know, and if I, that tells, tells you that mentally I felt like I wasn't capable of finding a man and and it was because of where my self-esteem was. I, and it just went from one down to the next to the next. And then at Christmas time, I was all excited. So then I think I came out in September and then he came out at Christmas time. And so then I thought, but then we're dating, right? So I'm all excited and I bought him a really expensive Christmas present. Gosh, the things that we do, right? <laughs> I know. And so then I opened his and it was a duck that was about six inches that I think he got thrown at him from one of those things where you pick into the price things. I don't know. Really? That was my Christmas present. How did it go from like you thinking you're dating to actually dating? Because eventually you got married, right? Well, that was, that was actually dating. And then we, we dated for five and a half years. Yes. And during that time, I was an elected official during that time. So again, I got an elected official. The after um, four and a half years downstairs, the attorneys came and asked if I'd run for clerk of district court. <gasps> no way. Yeah, I was 22 years old. And that didn't give you the confidence? Well, it did there. As long as he wasn't around. I still didn't see. And, and I think it's because I was so had this religious thing in my head. I didn't see that I could get somebody or that I was worthy of more. Now, when you were together, do you think that like he knew about obviously the things that you were doing, you were working in a courthouse, now you're an elected official. Do you think that when he were you guys were together and I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, did he make you believe like, even though you're here, I want to put you back in your place and realize you're the woman and I'm the man? Oh, no, that wasn't really. But see, I still had this hanging over me that the men were where they were. I enjoyed doing stuff with him. I didn't know what a real relationship was supposed to be. I think that's the bottom line is that honestly did not know because I I know there were times before we were married, there was that he would holler at me for something like if I, he asked me to do something when he was working on his car and I didn't know what I was doing, you know, and then he would holler at me and it would just crush me because my dad wouldn't do that to us. But you know, it would go away because I was good at either shoving stuff down or just dismissing it. I don't know which one. And so then that went on for five and a half years. And then we just, we talked about it. Are we ever going to get married? And well, because I started dating him when I was 19. So I must have been 20. I was almost, I was 19 and a half. So almost 24, 25. Yeah. Yeah. But I was out here once. No, he was in Montana. And then we talked about getting married. And he said, well, yeah, maybe we should get married. I mean, this is how it went. When I look back on it, I'm like, I can't believe I was so stupid. <laughs> and then he said, well, why don't we, you know, we can get engaged at Christmas time and get married at um, Valentine's Day. 
And I'm like, okay. So then I came out in September and I thought, you know what? I I need to know because to me, planning a wedding in two months isn't going to be enough time. And he wouldn't answer me. I said, are we actually going to do this? And he wouldn't answer me. And then the last night we were sitting and talking and he looked at me and I asked him again, he said, are you asking me to marry you? And I was so devastated. I never said anything else. And I went home and I broke up with him. Good for you, Nina. <laughs> I know, but I, I was so, it was the hardest thing I did. I did it. And then, you know, working in the courthouse, I had a lot of people that were in my office all the time, but there was a guy from that was working oil all the time. And he was in my office and we just became good friends. And, you know, he knew right away when I broke up. And so he said, Hey, let's go out to eat and you can, we can talk about it. So we did. And I poured my heart out to him. And then he said, <laughs> he said, let's just keep doing stuff together. But I want to warn you, I'm fresh out of a divorce. So don't fall for me. <laughs> really? Yes. He said, I know. He said, I know you're in a very vulnerable position. That's how he put it. He said, I would love to do stuff with you and just be company, but I just got out of a divorce and I'm not ready for a relationship. That's how he said. How did that make you feel when he said that to you? Well, I was used to so much crap that that was nice. I mean, it was actually, it was still nice for him to say that to me because he was concerned about me. Yeah. Yeah. Looking back, it was like, okay, I understand what you feel like and you're vulnerable and you're sad and hey, I'm single and I'm alone and, and I just want someone to do stuff with and be friends with. Well, and I'm sad. Yep. So we did every night that, because I was still waitressing at night and I was working in the courthouse. So every night that I was not working, I was with him and he treated me like a queen. I never opened a door. I never slid out a cigarette. I mean, I was smoking then. I never lit a cigarette. I never pulled out a chair. He just treated me like a queen. And what happened? But there was nothing there. Yeah, but that should have been like the basis of like, if this guy can treat me this way, then there's got to be other guys that can treat me this way with the romantic part together. But you know what? A lot of people don't understand until you've had some major, I don't know, because we ended up getting married. You have to have something inside of you that says yes. And it took me 27 years to get there. We ended up getting married and we had four wonderful children. And I picked up four sexually transmitted diseases from him. <gasps> no way. Yep. And he, you know, he got another woman pregnant and had another kid. And, but where there's abuse, there's such mind control. So take us back to the first time you found out that you had an STD. How did you find that out? <laughs> well, we were on our honeymoon. On your honeymoon. And we were in Hawaii. This shows how vulnerable I was and how I just, anything people told me, I believe. So we're on our honeymoon and, and it's like, oh my land, what's going on here? And, and we both had this and we were bleeding and he said, I'll go to the pharmacy and find what to do. So he went to the pharmacy and then he came back with some cream and he said, well, we both have to shave and then put this cream on and it'll be gone. But he said, the pharmacist said to me, it's really common. This happens in Hawaii all the time. People get crabs out of the ocean. <laughs> Really? <laughs> and I believed it. Unbelievable. So for years, when people came to Hawaii, I said, you've got to be careful because you can get crabs out of the ocean. No way. Nobody said anything to me. 
including my brothers. And I don't know if they thought that I was just being a smart aleck. And finally, somebody cleared me up. So that was the first one. Well, I'm sure you're, because they, your family is legalistic Christians, the last thing they're doing is having the sex talk with you and telling you about STDs and what to look out for. Do you know, I remember as a young, we were probably in, I don't know, maybe late grade school or early high school. And we were with mom and dad at some friends and we didn't have a TV when we were growing up either, but we were watching TV. And on that show, they were talking about a venereal disease. Well, I had no idea what it was. So mom was sitting in the other room, you know, visiting mom and dad were visiting with those, that couple. And so I said, mom, what is a venereal disease? <laughs> she was so embarrassed. Oh she gosh. came in the other room and she said, Nina, you don't talk about that in the public. We will discuss this later. And there were five of us kids sitting there, but she was so embarrassed by it. And, and you know, when I got my second one, I don't remember how many years we were married, but he came back here to help do harvesting and stuff. And he slept with somebody. And of course I had no idea. And he was a truck driver at that time. And he came, cause I had to finish my term. I wasn't ready to, I would not leave my electrician in the middle of my term. So he came out here and helped with crops. And so when that showed up again, I didn't know that I had it, but he had to go to the doctor and he found out he had it obviously. And then they give you a big shot of penicillin. So I had gone with him to the doctor that day, but I stayed in the waiting room and then he came out and he said, oh, by the way, there's something going around right now that they're giving everybody shots of penicillin. So I went in the other room and, you know, got a big shot in each cheek and we went on our merry way. And that was the end of that discussion. It wasn't just talked about again. And about a week later, maybe two weeks later, I get a call from the state health department and they're like, so do you know who your husband got the venereal disease from? And I said, excuse me, you're talking about my husband? I'm married to him. (laughs) And she said to me, you do know you were treated for gonorrhea, don't you? I'm like, no. She goes, you do know that you got a couple of shots, didn't you? And you know, every time that something happened that I was devastated by. Did you confront him? Of course I did. Each time I did. When I found out like that, that crab thing that took me years to figure that out so when you confronted him what was his question what was his answers to you what was his demeanor like some I don't remember exactly but I know this and I learned this through the years that when you are with an abuser they know how to make everything somebody else's fault nothing is ever their fault yeah it's called gaslighting they know how to flip the situation around so then you feel like the person that is in the wrong for even questioning them. Well, and his his was that, you know, he was out there and and you know how it is when you get together with a group of people and she wanted to sleep with me and, you know, I, he just knew how to manipulate me. And, you know, I just had to give it to her, you know, I was just being a good Christian man. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> we didn't talk about Christianity and neither of us professed to be saved yet. And then, you know, it just, he told me for years. So I'd been in my, I started my business a couple of months after I got married. I got married in April and I started my business in April. And I know that he was very jealous of my business. He was, he did not like how it made me feel strong. And I didn't realize that for years until one of my friends said to me, you know, Nanny, every time you become, start things really moving up, you guys have a big fight. And this is very common. I'm in network marketing and it's very common in network marketing with an insecure spouse. 
everything they can to bring that woman back down. Because somebody who is a controller, who's an abuser, is always an insecure person. And I've learned so much. I tell you what, it's it's been a it's been a journey, but I've learned so much that it's always insecurity on their part. And I don't think, to be honest with you, that most of them even realize what they're doing. Because I don't think any human would be as rotten as a lot of narcissistic people are. But it comes from their upbringing. You know, when when you, he had me backed into a corner. He was abusive mentally all the time, but he never hit me. He had me backed into a corner once. And I just started hollering to get him away from me. And then I called his father because we lived just a half mile from there. I said, you need to come over here and calm down your son. Came over there and he, and I don't know what they had said in the kitchen. I'm on the bed crying. And he came in the bedroom. He said, you need to come out here and talk. He said, you know, you're the one that caused this. I was so upset. And I said, you know what? Everybody is responsible for themselves. I cannot make him do anything. And I said, but why do you think, why do you think my husband was the way he was? You know, and I didn't put that together for a long time, but I told his dad, I said, you might as well go home if you feel that way, you know? And, and so it went on, you know, and, and he made me, he always said to me, you're a terrible businesswoman. You'll never amount to anything. All you ever do is play with people's heads. You never make any money. You spend more than you'll ever make. I mean, and it had that part about being a horrible businesswoman, that was the hardest thing for me to get through. Because when I understood, because for years I I knew that I had money because I spent money all the time. But on the taxes, that's a cool thing. It didn't show anything. You know, so the difference there between the cash flow and the actual spent, um, the actual taxable income. There's huge difference in network marketing. So yeah, life went on. And, and finally, at 27 years old, after or after 27 years of marriage, I should say, I was almost 50. And I had four amazing kids. And I was like, I cannot do this anymore. And it took me to that age to get there. And I cannot, I want to be able to help other women to see this is not life. And I was so scared yet to leave. I remember sitting in the parking lot with my sister for an hour and a half, bawling my head off because I didn't believe I could support myself. I was making plenty of money to support myself, but he had he had helped me come to that decision that there was no way I could support myself. It's crazy because like you were never like physically hit, but I always say this for people who are survivors of domestic abuse is that it doesn't have to be a fist or a slap or anything, the mental abuse, I think, is a lot worse than being hit because the scars, the blood will clear up, the bruises will go away, but the mental abuse will stay with you forever. It's almost crippling. I mean, to know that you got four sexually transmitted diseases and you still stayed. And then on top of that... Oh, and there were more affairs too. (laughs) Yeah. And then on top of that, you find out that he had a child with another woman and you still stayed... Well, you know, from from our family, so there's 150 of us in cousins. I was the first one to get a divorce. So that alone was probably weird because people are so ashamed. They're so like, I don't want to get a divorce because they would rather not suffer the shame of being said you're a divorced woman versus suffering in a marriage that you're intolerable. But again, I was brought up. You don't get a divorce. But it also says in the Bible that you shouldn't sleep with another woman when you're married. 
<laughs> you know? Well, and that, you know, so I have a biblical divorce. If you believe you can't get a divorce, I still have a biblical divorce. Because there, there's so many things I could go on and on and on, but I don't think people need to know all the, the garbage part of it. But the part that I want women to understand is that if you are in an abusive situation, I know you have to come to a point that you know, and every woman is capable of this. It's just your belief, but you can take care of you and nobody deserves to be treated like that. And men will threaten you that they're going to take your kids away. My ex threatened that, that I wouldn't have my son. I said, my kids don't have a relationship with you. I was, we had a 2.3 million net worth and I walked away with the down payment on the house. I spent $75,000 on attorney fees. And I still walked away with nothing. And my attorney said, I have never in my 40 years of law seen something like this, but it's because of, he was unethical. He did some, you know, really wrong things and he burnt some documents. We never had anything legally recorded because I trusted his parents. And so bottom line was, but when that document came down and the attorney sent me an email of it and he said in here, it's not good. And I started reading and right away, I'm like, how did they believe all these lies. And then this has never happened to me before. And it's never happened to me since. But it was like a voice came to me that said, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I closed that document. And to this day, I've never read it. Really. I knew that it wasn't meant to be. But I have been so blessed since that day. And my business has quadrupled. And yeah, People need to know that we are all humans. We were all created the same. There's nobody that's to lord over anybody, you know, especially supposedly in the name of love, because that's why I think we stay. And I know some other people who have been in the same situation. And, and I've learned that to say you need to get out does not work. They have to get to the point of their enough is enough and their hurt is enough that, okay, now, now there's a lot of women who are smarter too. And they decide right away. That's not how I'm meant to be treated. You go fly your kite. It's sad because people don't understand that love, true love, amazing, true love does exist. Like the love that you see in movies does exist. And there are happy couples. Like, I mean, this last weekend, my husband and I, I mean, I had a major panic attack and my husband sitting there and holding me and like just telling me that he loves me. And it's like, wow, like even the next morning I was like, thank you so much. Like you don't understand how much that meant to me, you know, and even this morning he's like bringing me a cup of coffee to bed and telling me everything's going to be okay. And like, he is the most amazing husband. And I think about that and I'm like, I never knew a love like this existed because I didn't see it between my parents. I didn't see it with like some, my sister, some of their husbands didn't treat them that way. You know, I didn't believe it. And I accepted other relationships where I was less than treated less than some of them physically abused me, you know, but it, the mental abuse, like I had just like how you were saying earlier, how he would get really annoyed that you were doing really good with your business. Like, I remember one boyfriend, I had quit a job, I was making $42,000 a year. And I got this other job and I was starting at 60 grand a year. And you would have thought that I skinned his dog alive because he just could not stand the fact that I was making more money than him. It like literally tore at his ego and he did everything in his power for the rest of, it was like my first two weeks at work. And I was just so ecstatic to have this new position with this new title and more money. And every day that week, when I would try to tell him, oh, and this happened and this happened, he would be like, oh, 
your hair looks disgusting today or oh, I can't believe you wore that outfit you look fat in it and and I like looking back I'm like I was looking really good he had nothing to say about my physical appearance because I I, he just had to bring me down to make me feel bad about myself because he felt so bad about himself. And you saw, you started to feel better about yourself. You know, when they say you become the least of the five people you hang around with is so truthful. And what you shared there is such a perfect example of that perfect example of it. And I, I just have a passion to go out and help women. Now I'm not a proponent of divorce, but if, if that other party will not, will not, change their ways, which usually they have have something major to lose and they're afraid to lose it before they'll even consider changing. Because when I finally filed for a divorce, he said, oh, let's, you know, let's go to counseling. He wouldn't before. And I spent 15 years in counseling to try and stay together. But I always worked on my head because of my business. I was always working on my head to try and combat all the crap that I was being told all the time. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very interesting it's a very interesting, you wonder why are some people made that way? And honestly, like, you know, women will always say, and I, it's funny because when I talk about my situations in the past and the relationships I were, was in and they would look at me and they say, Paola, but you're so smart. You're so smart. How did you go into that? How? Like, and even listening to your story, you were obviously smarter than your years because here you are working at a courthouse and running circles around the people who have worked there for probably 10, 20 years. And you obviously are smart, but for whatever reason, we're so desperate to be loved. And we would accept any type of behavior because we didn't understand what true love was meant to look like. And, and I really believe that when we're children from the ages of one to seven, and, you know, I've heard this from Bruce Lipton, who is a professor in psychology. I think it's psychology. I'm not sure. But he says that, you know, even in the Bible, it says, give me the man or give me the child from the ages of one to seven and I'll show you the man. And, you know, growing up, like my mom was not a loving mother and my dad was an alcoholic. He was never home. I hate saying that he was an alcoholic because it shows like he's like this angry person, but he wasn't. He was a, a kind man, but he just sedated with alcohol because my mom was not a nice person, you know? And, and like growing up, we didn't have like that love, like even today, my brother, who is now almost 52, 53, has a hard time saying, I love you on the phone. It wasn't how we were, we were, we grew up. It wasn't like lovey dovey and it wasn't, you know, you're amazing or you're special and, and you're one of a kind. It was just like, you know, we were, I was one of seven, you know. And sometimes I think pe when people have a lot of children, it's hard to have that kind of love all across the board and be able to cherish every child and love them and have enough time and attention for each of them because it's hard you're running around trying to raise children you know yeah and I think part of that too is Paola that the kids get stuck into the parents position so the parent can take care of a bunch of the other stuff yeah especially when you're poor and you're trying to put food on the table like my oldest sister was like you she had to be the one that cooked and cleaned and took care while my mother and father tried to go make a living to take care of the rest of us you know and and it was just like we didn't have that yeah I never resented any of that I mean it's just that's the way it was and so we did it but you know something that you just shared there and it, it popped something else into my head that I never could understand why I had not married my father. Because that's what I always heard, that girls always look for somebody like their father. 
And my father was an amazing, loving, caring. He was just, my dad was an amazing guy. And it was not until I was at the end of my divorce and I was at a counselor because my husband said to me, if you're a Christian, you can't get a divorce. That's what he said to me. And that really played on my psyche. But I went to this counselor in the end and, and, you know, he has you fill out all the forms. And then he said to me at my first session, he goes, so why did you marry your mother? And I sat there and looked at him and I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you didn't, you said all kinds of nice stuff about your dad here, but you didn't put a thing on here about your mom. I, and so then, of course, I'm protecting my mother yet. And I said, well, I just didn't want to put anything on there that may not have been nice. And he said, well, you married your mom. And that was such a shock to me. But since then, he said, you always end up, and if, if you're out of balance at all, you always end up marrying the parent that you are lacking the most from. And I've seen that over and over and over in people. I did the same thing, but I didn't marry my mom. I, I dated my mom. <laughs> I dated a lot of men who were emotionally and physically abusive and, and absent, you know, and treated me like I was just an option. And that was like how my mom treated me growing up, like just an option. You know, oh, she's there and I don't really have to take care of her because her sisters will take care of her. And, you know, I don't really have to go to. And I did everything in my power to try to impress her. You know, all my life, I did everything in my power to try to impress her. Honor roll. I won awards at school. I was a cheerleader. Like I did everything and, and she would never show up. Like, I think the only time she actually showed up was when I graduated from college and I was like, astounded and she told everybody how proud she was and I'm like really how come you never told me how proud you were yeah and you see those scenarios over and over and over and you know once you get yourself to where I thought I was completely through this because I've been divorced for 15 years I'll tell you what last year when things started really rocking in my business again all of a sudden that came to me and things came to a screeching halt again and I'm so thankful that I have the mentor that I have (laughs) Because she walked me through that. She got me through it. And if it was not for Danelle, I'd probably be exactly where I am yet, even though I have done tons of self-improvement, but it got me through it. And I now know that every person that is like that, I feel sorry for, because unless they're willing to get help for themselves, they're just going to make somebody else miserable along with themselves. Misery loves company. There's a reason why it's like that. Misery loves company. I think, you know, for those people that have grown up from the ages of one to seven without being properly loved by their parents, you know, they really need to take a step into figuring out how to love themselves. Like, honestly, I believe like wholeheartedly, the reason why my life completely changed from being bitter, angry. I mean, I lost a lot of friends. I think about all the times, all the friends I've lost because I was so angry and bitter and jealous. And, you know, I was always triggered because I was just in a place of hurt and pain. And it wasn't until I decided I'm going to start loving myself. I'm, I'm going to like go through, do the work, you know, too much Super Soul Sunday, Oprah. But I, I watched a lot of Super Soul Sunday and I, I watched all the people that she was, you know, interviewing like Gabrielle Bernstein and Jack Canfield and Tony Robbins and picking up their books and reading everything. And 
and realizing that there's so much more freedom when you stop allowing other people to define you and start loving yourself full heartedly. I don't even know how to say that, but wholeheartedly, you know, and once you start loving yourself wholeheartedly for everything that you are, you shine from the inside out. And that's when people are attracted to you. And I feel that's how I found my husband was because I was, you know, shining. He always tells me, he's like, there was something about you that just like I was attracted to. Like, I just wanted to be around you because you were so happy and so joyful. And, and, you know, when you're in a negative place and you're vibrating at a negative frequency, I think you attract more negative people. And I think that was the reason why I attracted all those men that just didn't serve me. I was such a happy person. I I honestly, to this day, don't know how I attracted him. Something, and you know what it was? He was so peckin' good looking. And and he looked at me, you know, and he told my cousin, the only reason that he married me was because he knew I'd be a good mom. Years later, yeah. So, but everything turns out the way it's supposed to. And, you know, it's all of those knocks in life and all the hard things that we've been through that makes us who we are today and makes us a much stronger person. And it's made me where I really want to try and help people and make a difference in other people's lives. So would that be your nugget of wisdom that you'd like to leave the ladies with? I would say so that, you know, don't go into victim mentality when stuff happens um, because it's very easy to go there. I was probably the queen of victims for years. And then I realized that that will not help me and it will not help anybody. And yep, it did not serve me. It only made things worse. And it's like digging a tunnel. Everybody's got crap that happens. But when we are in the middle of our own, we think it's worse than anybody else's. But if you always, every single situation that happens, there's something good in it. Out of all those horrible years of marriage, I got four amazing children. And now I have um, 11 number, 12 grandchild on the way. And I feel, and they're all right around me. I am so blessed. And I apparently had to go through a lot of that to get to where I am today. So if you're in a situation like that, don't feel sorry for yourself. Figure out how to get out and change your life. I love that, especially because you only have one life. So why not enjoy it? Exactly. All right, ladies, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Journey of a Fearless Female. I'm your host, Paola Rosser. You can find the Fearless Female Movement on Facebook. You can find me on Instagram at Fearless Female Podcast. How can my listeners find you, Nina? On Facebook at Nina Staple. I'm on Instagram, but Facebook is my main place. <laughs> and your last name is spelled S-T-A-P-E-L, correct? Yes. All right, guys, tune in next week for another episode of Journey of a Fearless Female. Goodbye. Goodbye.